Many of you know that I am in facilities uh, at my day job, and so I just want to bring some clarification to Pastor Warren's uh, comment about the doors. You can go out the doors. <laughs> There's an emergency. You can go out the doors. We're just w we're not wanting people to come through during the middle of service, so just, just be aware of that. If there is an emergency, you can go out the doors. They're not locked from the inside, so anyway. That is my uh, announcement. <laughs> but if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. We are looking at the verse, first 14 verses. And I just want to say this, I can't believe that we are finally here. <laughs> you know, been in John for a long time. We are in the, the very last chapter of this book. And I know for myself, it's, it's been a, a, a great study as I have been studying and preparing for preaching, but also sitting under the preaching of the other pastors, and uh, it is a, an amazing book. And often when, when we come to Christ or, or somebody comes to Christ, what we'll tell them is read the Gospel of John because it is so clear on who, who Jesus is and, and how he came. And we just sang about um, really the prologue of John, that, you know, that he became flesh, and so many of the things that we sing and the things we talk about as Christians come from the Gospel of John. And, and so we're finally here. And when we look at this, this last chapter, John chapter 21, verses uh, 1 through 14, but really the whole chapter, what you're going to find is that in some ways it, it doesn't seem out of place, but it seems like the, that it might be an addition. And when I say that, you know, as I mentioned, there's a, a prologue at the beginning of John, and this is what we would call really an epilogue. It's, it's a, a, a postscript. And so there's these two bookends with the Gospel of John. We, we have really, last week, we finished with the main text, and now John is somewhat adding this to the end of the text. And if you go back to just last week, these last two verses, and you can kind of see that this is... Uh, the end of, of, of the book, in a sense, or the end of the main part of the text in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20. And it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I mean, so you could almost say, like, okay, there's, there's the ending. So, so why, is, why is chapter 21 here, if, that's, if that is the ending? And, and I want to look at that. And, and we know that those verses we just looked at are, are really the, the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. And then he moves in to chapter 21, and I think he does so because what he's trying to do is he's trying to answer some questions. He's trying to maybe uh, tie up uh, some, some loose ends. And there, because there are a few pieces of information that are, that are helpful for us and for the church, and especially for the early readers. We, as Christians today, we have, we have the, the canon of Scripture, we have the other books of the Bible, we have the other Gospels, we have the book of Acts, and so we can look at these things. Many of the early writers, they would get the Gospel of John, and that's all they would have. And so I think what John is doing is he's, he's finishing off his book with this last chapter uh, to, to present his his gospel in its entirety. So in this chapter, there may have been readers who would, who would have read and they, they, would, they would understand some things 
uh, more fully. And, and what we've been hearing over the last couple of weeks, are, I think it's really important because what we've been seeing is eyewitnesses to, to Jesus's resurrection. And I think that is so foundational for us as Christians, eyewitnesses of resurrection. And, and what Pastor Kenny and what, what Pastor Kevin had preached on the last couple week, weeks is, is really, in a sense, it's enough. But John sees fit to add additional information about Christ in his, in his appearing and in his resurrected body. So, so John is is not done, and he's adding a little bit more evidence. But another thing I think that is important that, that I think John wants to tie up uh, as some loose ends is, is Peter. Because we see Peter, and the last time we saw Peter, we see him running to the tomb. That's pretty much all it says. He ran to the tomb with John. John outsprinted him. Peter went to the tomb. But before that, what happened to Peter? Peter had denied the Lord three times. And so you have this this unanswered question, how, how is Peter and the Lord going to be reconciled? What, what is happening here? So that, that's something that we're going we're gonna to look at, not necessarily this week, but next week. But that's what, what, what John is doing. He's, he's tightening up these loose ends. And in this epilogue, these, he's presenting the story, this gospel, in its entirety. And we, we're going to see today that in this third appearance to his disciples... We saw the first appearance in in chapter 20, verse 19 through 23, when Thomas wasn't there. We know that because Thomas wasn't there, he didn't believe the other disciples' report. What Thomas says is, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. And so we have the disciples, you know, they've seen the Lord crucified, they've seen him buried, and some of them are doubting. And so you have Thomas, and, and he's what we know as doubting Thomas. And, and so the question is, what happens to Thomas? Well, we know right away, don't we? Because it says in, in chapter 20 that eight days later, the Lord appeared again to Thomas. And Thomas's response to that appearing is, my Lord and my God. So that loose end is tied up. But these early readers of this gospel, they, they could have had these questions. And these disciples, they saw the resurrected Jesus multiple times. But I think that there are some clues in this text that we're going to look at that, that show that they are still struggling with doubt. They're still struggling with doubt. And so John gives us this, this third appearance of Jesus, where we see these three gospel truths that we're going to look at, three gospel truths in the third appearing of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. So let's go ahead and look at this passage. We're going to be looking again at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And this is God's holy and inspired word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, 
do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out, out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just come before you, and I come before you right now. And I, Lord, I am a, a vessel just to be able to, to preach your word. Lord, I'm reminded in, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that, that we have this treasure, this treasure of the gospel in, in jars of clay to show that the greatness comes from you and not from us. Lord, I pray that as I preach through this text, Lord, that you'd give these people who are gathered here ears to hear and, and eyes to see the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to hear the gospel being proclaimed. Lord, I pray that you would use me as a, just a, a weak vessel for your glory and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, this is a, a fascinating story, and we'll get into more of it next week, but this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples. Again, the first two times we're in a closed room, and now it's by the, the Sea of Tiberias, which is really also known as the Sea of Galilee. It's had multiple names based on where you were at and what time period it was. And, and in this appearance, we, we see, as I said, three gospel truths. And, and none of these things that I'm going to share with you are, are, are new. John is revisiting some of these truths, and so we're going to revisit these truths. And, but I think that they're really important, and, and, and they're important to drive these truths home. And the first truth, and you'll see these in your notes, is that there were eyewitnesses that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. This is not just some fairy tale that we believe. You know, this is, there were eyewitnesses. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. And it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he, he revealed himself in this way. And we can easily say that for us as Christians, that, that Jesus is what? He's alive. He's alive, and, and we all say, you know, of course he is. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, of course he is alive. But, but my question is, as a believer, have you ever doubted? Have you ever doubted? Personally, I, over the years, I, I doubt less and less. But I have, I've had periods of, 
of doubt. And there, there may be some here today that, that are even doubting. There, there, there may be some here today that are, are disbelieving, and, and they're just saying, I don't believe this whole idea about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why John wants to drive this home. And he wants his readers to know for certain that Jesus is alive. And this was not just some sort of fairy tale. And this is the, the final proof that John gives, that, that Jesus came back to life after his death. And, and whenever me, in my, in my life, whenever I have an occasion for doubt, and it's not just doubting the resurrection, one of the things I go to is what? Is the resurrection. I go to the resurrection because what it does is it gives me a foundation to look at. I come back to the resurrection, and, and, and I want to encourage you when, when you have seasons of doubt that you would come back to the resurrection of Christ because there are evidences. There are historical evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I start with this resurrection, and in fact, it, just this week, you know, I said this earlier that, that I have a a regular job that I go to week after week, day after day, and I'm also a pastor here. And, and one of the things I've, I'm finding even more recently is that I'm, God is giving me opportunities to share the gospel at work. And it's not like I'm, I mean, I, I, I've always prayed for those people, my, those people under me. I have three supervisors, and I have probably 20 employees under me. I, and I pray for them, and I encourage them, and, and I try to be salt and light. But just a couple weeks ago, I have a, a new supervisor who, supervisor who works for me. And just a couple of weeks ago, I walked over to this little grocery store we have at, at our, the military base I work on. And I went over there, and, and I, was, I, I, I bought something to eat, and I was walking back, and he was walking. And, and he says, hey, do you have a second to just that I could ask you a question? And and I said, sure, can I buy you lunch? So I bought him lunch, and we sat down on this picnic, ta picnic table, and he says, he says, you know, how do you know what you believe is true? You know, it's like I'm not even searching this guy out. <laughs> how do you know what you believe is true? You seem so confident. And there is a confidence. And I, and I could easily go to, to something like, you know, the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. And that is true. And the Holy Spirit bears witness that these, these things in the Word of God are true. And I could have gone there, but, but did I go there? No. What I do? Go to the resurrection. The resurrection is a, is a historical event. My question would be, if you doubt the resurrection of Christ, why not doubt historical figures like Julius Caesar or, or Abraham Lincoln? Why not doubt the First and Second World Wars? Why not doubt the Middle Ages? Why not doubt everything? But no, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical event. No, and when we think about Jesus, we, it wouldn't have made sense for his disciples to lie about the resurrection. If Jesus was not raised, why would he, why would he want somebody to follow somebody who, who didn't raise from the dead, who said he was going to raise from the dead? 
I mean, years ago in Waco, Texas, we had a, a guy, maybe you guys remember, a man named David Koresh, who said he was the reincarnate Christ. He said he would raise from the dead. Nobody's following him today. But people are following Jesus Christ because he rose from the grave. And his disciples, whom were scattered, who, who were, had, Peter, who had denied him, they were fearful, they were, they were afraid. Something happened in them to change them that every one of them, with the exception of the, the disciple John, died a martyr's death because they knew of what they had saw was true because they had seen the risen Lord. Who would die for a lie? No, these... These disciples, tradition tells us that every one of them died. You know, we, can, we can trust the resurrection of Christ. Remembering that, that these disciples were so doubting, and, and, and even at this point, they've, they've seen the, the resurrected Lord twice, but they're still, they're still going through it. They're still, I think they're not understanding fully what, what their future holds. What is this relationship with Jesus Christ going to look like now that he's raised from the, the grave, that he's not by our side every moment? And so they're wondering, how do, how do we obey? How do we learn? And, and, and we know that Jesus is really just getting started with them. And John uses this appearance as a, the final proof of the, the resurrected Christ. You know, he appeared to them three times. And he would actually appear to them. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke tells us he would appear uh, to them for a period of over 40 days, suffering after his suffering by many proofs, many proofs. And this is just one of those occasions that he's appearing in, in this story by the Sea of Tiberias. And the story starts in verse 1, and you see this word that is repeat, repeated in, in these first 14 verses. In verse 1, it says, after, the, after this, Jesus revealed. He revealed himself. He, he revealed himself. Another, another version would say he manifested himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And then down in verse 14, it says, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you can see that this is this is one of the points that, that Jesus is making in this passage, that he wants us to have confidence that Jesus Christ has risen, even though these disciples may have been doubting. So he starts and ends in this third appearance with these bookends, these, these proofs. And he appeared to these men. He says he appeared to, to Simon Peter, who we know denied him, to Thomas, who doubted him, to Nathaniel of, of Cana and Galilee, to the sons of Zebedee, James and John. We know that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who's writing this, and two others, probably Andrew and Philip. And, and it's interesting that these, these seven disciples are the ones that lived right near Galilee, and, and they were most likely all fishermen. We wonder where the other four are. <laughs> Matthew, the tax collector, I'm not going fishing. <laughs> Simon, the zealot, I'm not going fishing. <laughs> These guys were fishermen. 
And so, so they, they go along with Peter. And then this third eyewitness testimony of the resurrected Christ, you, you see these, these seven who are there. And this brings us to our second point. Jesus' disciples are in need of the resurrected Jesus. They're in need of the, of the resurrected Jesus. And what I mean by that is, is that they're weak. We know the day of Pentecost hasn't happened. That will happen in the book of Acts, and they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit at that point. And, and, and they're weak, and in many ways, that they've been really weak throughout this whole gospel. They're at times disbelieving. They're not understanding. You know, and that even in seeing the resurrect, resurrected Jesus, these disciples are, are, are struggling probably with fear and concern and impatience. And, and to wrap our minds around this, we, we need to read into this passage a little bit from other texts. And, and we have to ask the question, first of all, why are the disciples in Galilee? Why are the disciples in Galilee? And remember, Jesus was, was crucified in Jerusalem. He was, he was buried in Jerusalem. He was raised in Jerusalem. The first two appearances were in Jerusalem. So why are they in Galilee? And if to, to understand this, I want you to just turn back to, to Matthew chapter 28. And in Matthew 28, you see three in three different places Galilee mentioned. So in Matthew 28, this is right after the resurrection of Christ. You had the women who went to the tomb, and it says in verse 5, it says, But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Then down in verse 10, Jesus appears to them, and he says, he says this, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then down in verse 16, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And so we wonder, why are they in Galilee? Well, Matthew tells us why they are in Galilee. And, and Jesus what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's telling them that they should go there and, and they, they should wait for me because I'm going to go and I'm going to meet them. And, and they're told to go to this, this mountain and it doesn't tell us where this mountain is. And so, and so not only does he, Jesus tell them to go to, to Galilee, he tells them to go to this mountain. And as we go back to John chapter 21, that helps us understand why they're there. And so the disciples obey and they go to Galilee and what, what I believe is happening is that they are there and, and they're waiting for Jesus. Remember that with Thomas, they, he waited eight days to appear to them. And, and they get to Galilee and they're there and, and they're probably waiting for Jesus. And what? Jesus is not coming yet. And he's not there yet. And, and Peter is what? He's getting impatient. So Peter says what? I'm going fishing. <laughs> I'm going fishing. Jesus is not here yet. I'm going to take things into my own hands. You know, Peter was a fisherman. He knew 
he knew that he could do that. Waiting, on the other hand, is a different thing. And so many times I think that it's hard, isn't it, brothers and sisters, when, when we're, we're suffering in some way and we're going through something to wait. We're not unlike Peter, are we? Now, waiting on the, the risen Christ is often difficult, and we often say this, how long, O oh Lord, do I have to suffer through this? How long, O oh Lord, do I have to wait to see a promise fulfilled? How long, O oh Lord, do I, do I have to wait to get married? How long, O oh Lord, do I have to wait to get children? How long, O oh Lord, do I have to wait to get a job? There's so many times that when those kind of things happen, what do we do? We, we take things into our own hands. And I think that's what that Peter is somewhat doing. He, he's not going to wait. And, and it's interesting that the disciples do the same thing. They, you know, we're going to go with you. Hey, we're fishermen. We, we like to fish too. By the way, this wasn't a vacation. <laughs> this was their job. It was hard work. And for Peter, I, I, I know that this was impulsive because that's what Peter is. Peter's often impulsive. He's oft, often saying things that he, he gets rebuked for. He's often saying some things that are really amazing. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But then just a short time later, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. So Peter can be very impulsive and he's impulsive. And you know he's the one that he would, he, he promised that he would never deny the Lord. And then he, he denies the Lord three times. Back in chapter 20, we're, we're told in verse 21, And the Lord said to the disciples, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Peter, don't you realize this is, this is what I'm calling to? In, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, what did he tell them? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they did. And now Jesus has been dead just for a short time, and what are they doing? Going back to what they knew, going back to their old life. And you see this connection, and, and I'll leave this to, uh, to Kenny ne uh, next week. But in verses 17, uh, 15 through 17, we see Jesus being asked this question, right? What? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And, and there, there's some ambiguity with that. What does he mean by these? And there are different views, and, and one view is this, do you love me more than these, these other disciples love me? Or, secondly, do, do you love me more than you love these other disciples? Or a third possibility, do you love me more than these things? Do you, do you love me more than these boats, these nets, these fish? Or are you just returning, returning to your, your old way of life? Those are possibilities. As I said, Kenny will get into that next week. But no matter what, Peter went back to what he knew. Peter went back to what he knew. It was his, it was his fallback, and he wasn't necessarily wrong. It wasn't wrong of Peter to, to go to work. We know that the Apostle Paul worked on occasion to, to supply his own needs so he wouldn't be a burden on the church. So it's not wrong for pastors and preachers to work. But in the context, Peter is, I think Peter is being impulsive, as he often was. 
when we planted this church, going on nine years this December, it was an interesting way to plant a church. We had four pastors planting a church together. We actually had a, a close friend of our, of Pastor Kevin's and, and ours. Uh, he said, you guys are crazy <laughs> planting a church with four paid pastors. How, you know, you're going to have this little tiny church. How are you going to, because we were all pastors at another church and we were paid, <laughs> you know, full salaries. And how are you going to plant this church? And, and shortly after we planted this church, I have to confess that that I was struggling. And I'm grateful for those other pastors who were with me and encouraging me. And, and, and I was going through some things. And, and you know, when, you, when you're going through some things, sometimes you don't recognize anything that's going on around you, that other people are going through things too. It's all about me. And, and in some ways, I felt insecure. I felt unsure. I felt concerned. And in those er early few months after planting a church, I, I actually went and applied for a job. And it was an interesting time, and, and I, got, I got the job offer, and, and I declined the, the first job offer. And then that, that company, they called me back and said, we have, a, we have a, even a higher position for you. And I said, okay, you know, okay, I'll do it. And then the guy at Human Resources, he, he never called me back. <laughs> he never called me back. And, and I was like waiting. And why is this guy calling back? He said he would call me back. And I am not kidding you. <laughs> Becky Alfasa, Jeff's mom, was our, our administrator at the time. And I was like, all of a sudden I came to this place of relief. I don't need that. In some sense, I felt like I was abandoning the work at that time. And I said, you know, I, I am so glad I didn't take that. And the guy from Human Resources called me like 15 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, thank you. No, thank you. And then I kind of told him, you were supposed to call me back like a month ago. <laughs> no, thank you. Now, fast forward two years and a few months later, the church, we're, we're, we're doing well, we've learned some things, we're, we're thinking through as a group of pastors and elders, and we're thinking, how are we going to, how is this going to work? We're a small church with four salaries, how is this going to work? And, and it, with a consensus of the other pastors, it was decided, not, not my decision, but our decision, that it would be best that, that both Kevin and myself would, would take jobs that would afford us to be able to go and, and send Kenny and Jeff to, to seminary. And, and looking at it, I don't have any regrets. At that time, I think I would have, I would have had regrets if I would have just, would have just done that. And so there was a peace. But I think I've learned so much in, in these years, and especially at my job, as I said earlier, just being able to preach the gospel. I think, you know, those of you who are, are not pastors, 
be thankful for your jobs, that you can share the gospel with those around you. God has placed us all in the mission field for his purposes. Right now at my work, and, and I, I don't say this to boast, like I said, the guy came up and asked me <laughs> to tell him the gospel. <laughs> but at my work, what I'm finding is that, that I'm having some impact. I, I've, I've done some marriage counseling with one of my employees, with both his wife and his, his daughter. I've Just the guy that I, I just mentioned, he came to me on Friday and said, hey, I want to share with you some of the things I'm going through, and I'm wondering if you and I can just meet together, not about work, but about my family and the things I'm going through. Again, I, I don't, I boast in nothing but Jesus Christ, but another, another employee who I've had to, to counsel and to, to write up, who's been a really difficult employee the last six years, I've seen a, a change in him, and, and he even said to me recently that he has not had a boss like, like me, and he's so grateful that I'm there, even though I've written him up, you know. And then another, again, another um, one of my employees, uh, his name is Fernando, and, and again, I... I want to point people to Christ, but he, you know, he said just a while back, he said, you know, you're my hero. Again, I want to point him to Christ. I want to point him to Christ. And I don't just say that. I, I want you guys to, to do this, to point people to Christ. Let him do the rest of it. And we point people to Christ because he is our hero, right? No. So I have peace with our decision. God uses it. But Peter, Peter didn't have peace. You know, he's waiting. He's waiting for Jesus. And just imagine Peter, you know, saying, I, I don't know about this being fisher of man. <laughs> it's easier to fish for fish. So as they went out and they got into the boat, they fished all night, they caught nothing. They caught nothing. All their confidence was in themselves and they caught nothing. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what I just said to you, I just want to remind you that abide in Christ and you will bear much fruit. It's not about putting your best efforts together. Yes, you know, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling for God is at work in us. We do that. But we abide in Christ and we, we let him bear the fruit. But they caught nothing. And often when we, when we return to our sinful habits, we return to those things that, that many times Jesus Christ has delivered us from. We, we turn to them for comfort. And it could be food, it could be sex, it could be whatever it might be, Right? We turn to those things to find comfort. What do, we, what do we find out? That they amount to nothing. They're bitter. They're sour. They're unsatisfying. But we need to do the same as Peter and that Peter should have done and, and wait and trust in the Lord. Because he has said that he will never leave us nor forsake us and he is with us to the very end of the age. 
wait and trust in the Lord. That brings us to our third and last point. True satisfaction is found in the resurrected Jesus. True satisfaction is found in the resurrected Jesus. And you see that in seeing Christ on, on the beach, there's a, a renewed awareness of, of the resurrected Savior to Peter. And Peter so illustrates that in this, in this pas- passage because the boat is about 100 a, a yards away. And I, I looked this up in, in the Greek because I'm thinking in Greek they probably didn't have yards. And, and so it actually says in the Greek that it was, it was 200 cubits. And the, the length of a cubit was the length of a man's arm. My, my cubit would have probably been only about 75 yards. <laughs> Kenny's cubit, 150 yards. But it's about a football field away. Peter's in the boat. The other disciples are in the boat. Children, Jesus says children. It's not a real term of endearment, this word. Children, uh, do you have any fish? In fact, the New American Standard says it this way, and I think it's a better translation. He says, children, you do not have any fish to eat, do you? Let's just kind of rub their nose in it a little bit, right? You don't have any fish, do you? Well, you're the sovereign God of the universe, and you're keeping the fish from our net so that we would look back to you to trust you. Jesus knows they don't have any fish. Do you have any fish? So they... They listen, he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And he says they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish and 153 fish. As soon as this happens, it says the disciple that Jesus loved, we know that's the disciple John. He refers to himself in, in this book that way. He doesn't refer to himself as John. He refers to him as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He says it is... It is the Lord. He knows this. He knows this. And, and what we see in this, this passage, again, is a true satisfaction is, is found in the resurrected Jesus. Not in those things that we have, not in those things that we, we want to go back to, because he's alive and his disciples are weak. And in a sense, they're, in, they're both in the wrong place physically at this point. Remember, they're on the mountain. One commentator said maybe the other four were actually waiting up on the mountain still. No, they should be on the mountain waiting for Jesus to come where he told them to. But they're in the wrong place, possibly physically and, and spiritually, and, and yet he comes and he reveals himself to them. And, and that's, that's what they needed, right? But as an added bonus, he fills their nets. I mean, Jesus could have stood on the shore and said, Disciples, I'm here. Come on in. But instead, he does what he does, right? He's the, the miracle worker. And he says, cast your nets on the right-hand side of the boat. Or on the right-hand side of the boat. And they do so, and they, they obey. And, and we know that this is a, a similar miracle that, that occurred early in his ministry in, in Luke chapter 5. But there are, there are differences between this. And in, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus says to them, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And, and Peter responds to him at that time, and he says, you know, Master, 
We toiled all night and, and we took nothing. Basically, saying, do we really have to? I'm tired. But he does it and says they, they enclosed a large number of fish and, and the nets were breaking. Again, different. The nets were not breaking in, in our passage. These nets were breaking and, and they had so many fish that it says the boats began to sink. And it says when, G, when Peter saw this, he, he fell at Jesus' knees and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. What a difference. What a difference these three years have made in the life of Peter. Depart from me, I'm a I'm a sinful man. And in, in our passage, what does he do? He, he says, he, he throws his tunic on or his outer garment on and he, says, he threw himself into the water. You'd probably say dive, but he threw himself into the water. He can't wait to get back to Jesus. He swims that, that hundred yards while, the, while he leaves the fish and the friends behind. I'm going to Jesus. I can't wait to get to Jesus. And I think there's, there's so many beautiful things about Peter and his, his desire to, to be with the Lord. And it, it was like he was glad that even though he was in a place where he shouldn't have been, he was glad that the Lord was there. And, and I know that I have found that to be true in my own life as a, as a Christian, that I'm in a place that I know I shouldn't be. I'm glad when the Lord comes and, and confronts me with that. So Peter is, is there, and he, he, again, he swims, and he knew his own weaknesses. He knew his, his frailty, but he wants Jesus more, more than anything. And when I look back at my own salvation experience, there were things I was looking for satisfaction in so many different things. And, and, and when I came to the point when I was looking at, for satisfaction in this, and, and then this, and, and then this, and, and finding a, an emptiness... It was only then, and this was not an audible voice, but it was clear to me. One night, sitting on my couch, after a, a difficult experience, these words, what is this getting you? The answer was nothing, <laughs> nothing. I was catching nothing, <laughs> just like these disciples were catching nothing. I mean, seeking after being fulfilled in your own experiences and your own pleasures and your gets you nothing. But what I did is I, I, I found a, a satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. And finding satisfaction in, in Him alone, meeting Jesus was enough. Having a, a relationship with him was enough, but he gave me so much more than that. And if, if all I had in the world was Christ, would, that's enough. Would that be enough for you? But he gives us, he gives us so much more, and it doesn't mean that, that we don't have measures of, of, of gifts that God gives. And, and that's why we're told to mourn with those who mourn and, and rejoice with those who rejoice. Because sometimes there's mourning and sometimes there's rejoicing. No, but Jesus is enough. I mean, he gave me so much more. He gave me joy and, and peace, uh, 
He gave me a wife and children and grandchildren and friends and family and a, a wonderful church and a wonderful job. And I could go on and on and on about what the Lord Jesus Christ has, has provided me over and above himself. So they, they come and they, they drag this load of, of fish and they come to the shore and it says that there was a, a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught because he knows what they need. They've been out there all night. They caught nothing. It's been a hard night. And now he, he knows what they need and he provides for them. And it says in verse 11 that Simon Peter hauled this, this net ashore. I mean, think about it, 150 fish probably a couple pounds each, 300 pounds. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And, you know, it's abundantly clear that it is he, and he's the same Lord that has said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's the same Lord that has said, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. So finally, they're arrived, they're on, they're on the beach, and and we see this. We see that, that Jesus is, is actually serving them. It says he's, he's taking the, the fish and, and the bread to them as they're sitting there tired. And it reminds me of, of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where it says, For even the, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Jesus has died for the sins of his people, he's been raised from the grave. And he continues to serve his people. Aren't you, aren't you glad about that? He says this, he says, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's there, and, and these disciples, I mean, just think about it. They're finding their, their peace just in the fact that they're being able to sit and, and have a meal with Jesus. And Jesus could be angry at them, couldn't he? What are you doing here? Why, why aren't you up on the mountain? What are you doing down here fishing? Why are you going back to your old way of life? But he doesn't do that. No, he just provides for them and he, he blesses them. And he says, come and have breakfast just because of his goodness and his grace. And that's what he does to us. I just want to finish with this in this passage. We sang earlier that, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he, he took on human flesh and he came and dwelt among us. We know that the word says we behold his, his glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and we know this is our Lord. We know in this passage we see that he is the sovereign God because because he is sovereign, he's working out all these things for, for his disciples' good, but, but for his glory. We also see in, that he's omniscient. He knows these disciples. He's, he knows what they've done. He knows that they haven't caught fish. So he's omniscient. He, he's all-knowing. We, we see that he's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful, because he, he can tell them to cast his, their nets onto the right-hand side, and they bring in this haul of fish. He's and he can keep the nets secure. But the amazing thing, this, this is a, a, an omniscient, a, a, an omnipotent God 
who cares for his people. Oh, oh, what a Savior we have. Let me end with this. Make sure, make sure that you find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Don't go after those other things. Certainly, again, we, we work, we toil, but we trust. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this morning, and just thank you for the opportunity to, to preach your word. And I just pray that you would help us to, to see Jesus, the risen Savior, for who he is, and that we, in our doubting, would put our faith in him until our faith has turned to sight. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, the elders are up front. If anybody has any prayer need, um, please come up and have them pray for you.